Welcome, you guys. Heart of the Matter. Tonight's show is called Transparency All Over the Place. Why don't we begin with a word of prayer? Lord, seek you and need you in all things, and uh, pray that you'll help us to uh, help uh, create some change that will be meaningful in uh, the body uh, here in Utah and other places, if you're willing, and we just seek you and, and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, James White, Dr. Uh, apologist James White is going to be with us on February 13th from 7 p.m. to 10 p.m., a three-hour show. We expect a packed house, and uh, he is going to come to uh, talk with me, uh, and see, we'll see how that goes. He's known for being a, a uh, debater extraordinaire. We're not going to be debating. I refuse to do that. I can't do that with him. Uh, but uh, we can talk reasonably and try to see if we can come to some uh, agreements through that. So join us that, uh, on that and just keep it marked. February 13th, a Tuesday night, uh, 2018 from 7 to 10. Listen, uh, did you know that Campus and Heart of the Matter are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter? Uh, check out the description below and learn uh, how to get more involved. If you like this video, give it a thumbs up. And if you don't like it, then don't give it a thumbs down. Uh, hit that subscription button, by the way, uh, to stay informed. And click on the bell icon to be notified when we go live or when we release a video. Thanks for watching on that. Hey, uh, 2018 is going to be a year in guests. And I'm really hoping to get professionals in the faith to come participate, pastors, bishop, reverends, uh, vicars, come to the show and dialogue about what they believe and why they believe it. If you attend a local church, please invite your pastor to get in contact with us and uh, tell us that they're willing to come on the show and, and kind of not defend their church, we won't attack their church, but to tell us why their approach to the faith is the best on the face of the earth. We would expect that if somebody is doing church, that they would believe that the way they are doing it is the best approach on the face of the earth, and that's why we put it that way. No debates, no arguing. Uh, th thus far, we have commitments from three Presbyterians of different flavors, uh, a Roman Catholic priest, an LDS representative, an Anabaptist, uh, and a noted apologist. Lots of room left. There are some who are openly publishing their rejection to this invitation, which is humorous to me. Apparently, uh, they're saying they want me to repent of both my views and my uh, recent approach to things. And until I apologize and repent, they will have nothing to do with me. Uh, they are, in, in, in effect, pushing me into the corner and never talking to me again, acting like I don't exist. But when you think about that, if there are people who actually believe that God does that with the majority of the human race. He puts them in hell forever and burns them up because they disagree with the way these people think. Then how could I ever expect for them to come on this show and sit and talk with me? Uh, they're waiting for that day when I'm thrown in the same place. You know, They believe in that place. They can't wait for that place. So they're going to be that way in their attitude toward people here on this earth. Oh well. They've had an invitation to come on the show and explain their views uh, openly and in a friendly way, without attack. Apparently, they'd rather stand outside of LDS events and uh, with picket signs and megaphones and assure themselves that they're doing God's will. I don't know. 
Relative to last week's discussion, we said when Jesus said, look at if your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. Uh, we said, you know, how, what does that mean? How do you interpret that and who gets to interpret it? Wendy forwarded me an article by Pam Geller at Subject, a Muslim man in Australia was offended by his wife's behavior and he plucked her eye out and then he slayed her in front of her children. Uh, this, he said to the police there in Australia that this was normal behavior in Middle East cultures. My point, we have at least a related perspective coming from the mouth of Jesus. It's not to kill your wife or pluck her eye out, but it was to, if your hand or your eye offends you, cut it off, pluck it out. Where do we draw the line? And the whole point was, listen, when you become a literalist of things written in ink, you can start behaving in that way, but if you step back and say the spirit is primary, not the written letters, and the spirit and the fruit of which is love would never allow you to do something like that. And that was the whole point of last week's discussion. Got an interesting email uh, from a guy named Steve. Uh, he says, Dear Sean, your attempt to provide good works instead of living by the promise of grace alone. I don't know where he gets that, but he says it. And to increase your income is a bit of a joke. Uh, one only has to wonder what it was you did wrong in life that caused you to become anti-Mormon and essentially non-Christian. Generally, it's adultery, he says, severe crimes, abuse of some sort, or something else that you fail to believe that you can be forgiven for, and that causes you to go out and seek to destroy other people's faith. You know, as a side note, and just in all honesty, since we're calling this transparency uh, night, my personal crime was a bestial act with rabbits. And uh, I want to keep that between the two of us. Don't let that out. Uh, but that's what's driving me to destroy everyone's faith. Uh, anyway, that's a joke, by the way. Uh, he says it's simply a way to cover up your own guilt. And he ends with, by the way, he will forgive you if you just ask. And this language is that of a Mormon, pretty much, but I can't be sure with it. But what, is, what caught my eye and stayed with me when I read it the other day was he said, my attempt to increase my income is a bit of a joke. And because we've been talking so much about tithes, that's on me, and I, and I have discussion with pastors a lot about that of late. And so what's in my head, and last week I went to meet with a brother who asked to meet with me, and it was a long sit-down with him, four hours almost. Learned an awful lot, but there's a few points that came up in our discussion, and I want to talk to you about them now because they all had to do, we didn't meet to talk about this, but they all had to do with money. Now, I had just read this email from Steve about me trying to increase the income, and since I have openly attacked churches for taking collections and, and using the word tithes, I think tr more transparency is needed on my part. The first thing this brother said was, there's speculation out there that K2, the church, paid me off. And that is the reason I removed them from the introduction of the show. Uh, that's utterly hysterical and really sad if, if you actually think it works uh, like that. Uh, I'm going to tell you something. It sounds bold. In fact, I was called conceited and arrogant twice today from different people uh, in emails. Just two. Just two. <laughs> now three, uh, and it, no matter how much money 
someone could offer me, I cannot be bought. You could offer me a billion dollars, honest to God, you could offer me a billion dollars to stop what I'm doing and I will not take it or stop. If money was my ambition, I would have worked really hard to build up what we had, which was thriving and growing around the world and make it acceptable to more and more networks. That's how, you, that's how you make money in the religion game. You get more access and more, and so you have to tone back the stuff and you have to please people. And when you do that, and it, I can be charming enough, I could look good enough, I can cut all that off, I could do it and make money hand over fist. What was it, someone, did someone ask Gates or someone else, uh, or the owner of that uh, basketball team, if you could start into a business today, what would you start? And he said, I'd start a religion. There's so much money in it. You just have to play the game right and you make money hand over fist. Very easy to do. Before we made the decision to come out against the churches in 2013, uh, our donations were about 400 grand a year. And uh, if memory serves, they were approaching that if they didn't hit 400. Before January 1st of that year, I took Mary aside the, the day before the show and I said, you know what this is gonna mean, right? And, and meaning that my going public against the faith was gonna bring uh, back persona non grata upon me and she thought she understood what it meant she didn't understand and really neither did I but I just want to just bring that in, into play if I was out for money I would have been making it second thing my brother mentioned was that there's speculation that I'm always harping on tithes because I want people to be pissed about the tithes they pay and send their money to me uh, plain and simple I preach against tithes and because they're not applicable in the New Covenant. They are not applicable no matter how many dances pastors will do around it. I got, a I got a stack of papers this thick from one church on how they explain why tithes are necessary. And it's the biggest bunch of BS I've ever read in my life. So many extrapolations and jumping over hurdles as to why even Jesus preached tithes is one of the bylines. Oh my gosh, where's the context, you know? So... I certainly want people to come to campus because uh, they will be freed, in my estimation. They might not be freed doctrinally in the things that we teach. That might trap them up a little bit. But they will be free from any of the uh, uh, stuff that traps people up in religion. All are welcome. They never have to pay a dime ever. And again, if my ambitions uh, uh, were about money, I would have built campus a different way too. We would have gotten great backing to start with. We would have got a big building. We would have got rock concert, had rock concert uh, services. We would have done it all right. And we would have preached cotton candy messages so people would feel good when they came and uplifted and preached Jesus just enough to make it look Christian. We could have done that. So don't be stupid. I mean, really, wake the heck up. Uh, but perhaps more importantly, if tithes were real and of God, I would preach them down your throat if that's what the scripture said. But the scripture says we got to have faith and you got to love. That's what it says. And hopefully your life will bear fruit of that love. And so those are the things I harp on because that's really what the new covenant is all about in my estimation. So uh, we trust that God will provide. He does, always has. Finally, just before leaving, uh, this fellow that night, the subject of finances came up again. 
I don't know if I brought it up or he did. We were in the parking lot. And uh, I decided at that point to explain to him how much the ministry takes in on average in a month these days. And his response was, so you're not transparent in your finances. And I said, well, people can ask anything we want, and I'm sure Derek would tell them if they wanted it. But he repeated and said, but you're not transparent like other churches. And I think he's talking about some churches will post. This is how much money we've brought in this week. This is where our expenses are going. And they just keep that going in their programs or, or up on the wall or whatever. And I said, we're not transparent in that way. But I said, bottom line, once all the bills are paid, whatever's left goes to me at the end of the month. And that's true. That's how it works. But as I drove away, the financial thing bugged me. Because ever since we started in ministry, there has been, because we started on TV, somehow people think we, when you're on a, a, a TV station, you're in the bucks. And plus, uh, I, I, I think the style, my style, it's where I came from. It's my, my sense, even though it's like heroin chic, there's a style that goes with me that seems to speak of like money, uh, but it has nothing to do with money. It just has to do with the way I like to be or look or whatever. So in the spirit of on-air transparency, I'm going to give you some figures. Derek, who solely handles the bank, he takes to the bank, he writes the checks, he takes the deposits, he takes all the incoming stuff. He gives all the outgoing stuff. Uh, as of December 1st, 2018, our annual donations from online, Heart of the Matter, two campus services a week is $82,874. Uh, that money is used to do everything in the ministry, printing, shipping books for free, uh, all over the world, payments for services rendered, Rent for the building, utilities, insurance, repairs, benevolence to people in need. And it's not very much. We don't give out much. Uh, food and drinks for events, honorary, which sometimes other people bring. Honorariums for guests, which again, that's not much. Equipment, improvements, reimbursements for meals. Uh, uh, and then payments to others who in, uh, assist in the ministry. And then I take what's left. Uh, Derek said as of... December 1st, 2018, my salary uh, combined for the year was $23,400. So uh, I spend no less than 65 hours a week to keep the two Sundays and this and then counseling and meeting with people going. We have zero, uh, uh, we haven't had health insurance in 20 years, but God hasn't, we haven't been uh, needful of it because he's taken care of us. And uh, I can say humbly, in terms of bang for the buck, we've offered more to our viewers and our congregates on a dollar basis than churches that bring in 82 grand a month. So this isn't arrogance. These are just facts. And I share them with you to show you that it can be done, that people can serve God without preaching tithing, without taking collections and donations, and survive by God's hand in support. When was the last time we uh, asked for money on Heart of the Matter? And we have never, ever asked for it or passed a plate or preached tithes at campus. And we do have it on our websites if you want to support, but we have always said if you're on a limited fixed income or if you're a student or if you... Uh, 
have a low income, do not give to this ministry. I believe, and in fact, I, not, I don't believe, I know we have done it right. And I tell you this because I want to inspire the pastors to look at themselves and realize they can do it right too. You can. But what it does is it makes you lay your life out on the table and say, I'm going to trust you to take care of it. Now, there have been some times, man, I thought God had abandoned it. Believe me. We have actually had times where we had nothing at all, including any way to get food. And besides Derek's subway passes to me, I was, that's all we had. And the next day when it was like over, some dude from another uh, state sends us some money. It happens, but you have to trust that it will happen. So I've learned from experience, though, that this transparency isn't enough for you bloodsuckers. You want more. You dripping-jawed wolves want more. So how do Mary and I make ends meet? That's the next question. You see, it doesn't ever end with just the transparency. Now you want to get personal. Where are my funds in the Bahamas? And, and, and what's happening there. So let me explain it to you, and then we're going to move on from this, and I'm not going to talk about it again until it starts boiling up again and uh, causes people to do all their speculations. First and foremost, we have supporters who have supplied generous do donations to the tune of over $82,000 for this year alone. That's a lot of money, especially since we don't attract wealthy people. We usually attract people who don't have money at all. Some have some, but they don't have much. So to have 82000 is a lot of money for people who are making an average wage. Uh, secondly, we've worked different jobs. We've saved. We've spent. We've maxed credit cards out. We've subsidized. But God has always saved our bacon, and so we have been able to do that. Mary's parents <coughs> both passed away. Her mom passed away a year ago. And they left each of the siblings, there's three of them in Mary's family, a nice chunk of change, which allowed us to pay off our debt completely. And then uh, uh, allowed us, when you do that, it lowers your overhead nut that you have to have every, every month to live. So as the ministry funds have gone down, uh, we have been able to go down because we've been able to cover those expenses. After paying off our debts, we had enough to put down on a place in uh, Utah. We're actually able to buy our own place, and it's our dream home. It is my dream home. My kids will tell you that. My wife will tell you that. It's 700 square feet. Actually, it's less. It's 600 and something. It's downtown Salt Lake City. We love it because it's urban. We love it because it's concrete. We love it, but it is the average one-bedroom house in, in Salt Lake Valley costs more than this place. But we put the money down, we have a mortgage, and additionally, Mary started working. And she got jobs here, and that helps supplement the income. You want to know the truth, uh, bloodsuckers, this is how it is. And additionally, we have a volunteer staff that we could not get by without. We have Derek and Danita who do the books, the accounting, as I said, the taxes, maintenance, sh shipping books, everything. Kathy Maggie cleans this place almost by herself, every week, and has for years. Uh, Linda Cassidy runs the kids. She runs audio. Seth does all of our tech stuff, all of it constantly. Uh, and, he do, and it's just an 
unbelievable amount of stuff these guys have to do. Wendy, she's edited, she cuts our stuff up, she posts our shows, our content. Michael in Sweden has volunteered to revamp all of our websites free. It's something he does. And I mean, can you imagine a, a website with 500 videos on it hour long and having to manage all that content and revamp it in order to put it in? It's insane. These volunteers do it, and Cassidy is always doing our e uh, videos, our emails, and Steve and Mallory have done music, uh, and they provide that for us. And, you know, it's just, as we have Dave who does the Bible studies, everybody contributes whatever way they want, and every, whatever way they can, if they want. And in that way, that's how we do it. So, uh, There you go. That's, that's the end of it. After 20 years uh, of being under the belt of God, really 20 years of trusting him. And I mean, I'm not just, I'm not, this isn't bragging. I learned this is what you have to do. And I learned through experience of failures too. But when you trust him with your life and your needs, if you trust, and then you see him through the times when it seems like he's an absentee manager, he shows up. And that's when he's glorified. And that's when you are leveled to the ground and humbled by his graciousness. For some reason, he works that way. I don't know why he does it. It's to test our faith. I, I say that, but I don't know if I really mean it. But it's for some reason, that's the way the economy works with him. Some call this conceit. I say it's utter humility, all glory to God. And I challenge the pastors, every frickin' one of them in the state, to do the same thing. But they won't. So I'm called, I'm called someone, uh, I'm said that I'm this out of control, this guy, blah, blah, You know, they won't do it. They won't pull the trigger. And I'm going to continue to petition that they do so that the burden is not upon the people. I don't care what justification they say. All right. Got a fantastic uh, letter from Lisa. Uh, it really does, it does show what we're talking about in living color. She says, I officially left Mormonism a little over two years ago and very soon moved out here to West Jordan. It's because of you. I didn't give up on the concept of God. I believe there is a God. I'm just not entirely sure who he is yet. Okay, that's a, that's a real normal way. She said, I started attending the local South Mountain community here and enjoyed it. I did notice that they taught about tithing more than the Mormons did. Oh. <laughs> Rick just said, that's hard to do. Uh, yeah, that is hard to do. So anybody who's been Mormon knows, okay. Uh, which is why I couldn't stop laughing when I saw the new introduction to your show. Eventually, I felt like I needed to go try another local church, Lifeline Community, and I did. I found here at this church the only other non-Mormon family I have, so that has been good for me. The pastor at Lifeline teaches verse by verse more than the South Mountain Church did, but after almost a whole year of being here, we have covered the book of Ruth and a few chapters of Acts, which isn't a ton. I feel more often like we have random history lessons about Christianity than we do read verse by verse. Again, that's Mormonism. 
Do they teach uh, the Bible verse by verse? No. They teach random lessons of church history, crossing the plains, and all that stuff. Much more. It's the same thing. This is kind of annoying because I'm a seeker. I really need to only hear the Bible has to say because I'm trying to figure out if I believe in it or not. I left Mormonism mainly because I discovered the Book of Mormon and the Book of Abraham were complete frauds, and now I'm trying to put the Bible to the test. But she goes to churches, and they don't even teach it, and these are two reputable churches in the valley. Lifeline doesn't preach an excessive amount of tithes like South Mountain, but they still follow the money in other kinds of ways. Ready? If you take the official Lifeline tour that they do every couple of months, the pastor talks about how he listens to people who sign up as partners more than he will listen to people who don't become partners or members with Lifeline. That is unbelievable. That someone pays, well she says it, which is basically saying commit to paying your tithing or I won't get to know you. And it's true, I've been there almost a year, and he has said hi to me exactly once. To be fair, maybe this is just his personality, and uh, he does have a lot of people to get to know. But to me, as, uh, that's not an excuse, because you pass to the size of a church where you can know everyone's name. You get to the size of a church where you don't know everyone's name, it's time to pass it on to someone else to start a break-off church and do it that way. That's, how, that's why shepherd, shepherds know the name of their sheep. If you're going to shepherd people, you have to know the name. That's what Jesus even talks about with sheep. You know, he knows their name. They know his name. There has to be that relationship going on, and it has to come about. It can't happen every week, but it has to come about in time. If the church is so large that the pastor can't even address people by their name, the church is too big. That's not the model of, that we get from the New Testament megachurch. I'm reading out the Bible all the way through. She says uh, uh, here, she says, the assistant pastors seem more approachable at that one church. And she says, the churches around here aren't at prepared for the Mormon culture. At South Mountain and Lifeline, they hold events like church picnics and sporting events on Sundays. And they always say, invite your friends and family. Well, guess what, churches? My friends, neighbors, and family are all Mormon. There is absolutely no way I'm going to get them to come to a church activity on Sunday. Besides, I usually have to go to a Mormon family event. Plus, my husband still looks down on Christian community for breaking the Sabbath, and it just further propels him into the idea that Christian denominations are an abomination to God. You know, if you're, we're in this state, you're going to reach them. Reach them in the right way. Have your activities on a Saturday to reach the, the, the folk. No, you're going to do it because whatever. Uh, she says, anyway, I like your new show. Feel free to share this email if you'd like. Lisa, she gives her last name. I won't give it here. So act now, pastors. That's what we're doing. You don't like it, I know. Things need to change for people like Lisa. And the religious empires you have created around yourselves, they need to change. Uh, if not now, they're going to change by force in the future. So... Having several sit-downs with these pastors, I'm sorry, I've got a, something going on with my throat. With these pastors and ministers around the state, I have to admit, I really have a hard time relating to them. Um, I relate to sold-out believers. I relate to people who are authentic, whether they believe or not. If they're honest of heart and they're just talking what they believe, or I relate to them. But when people start talking corporate Christianese, 
it's it's with all the rhetoric. I feel like a 12-foot green alien at a dance for beauty queens. I mean, I just can't relate to it. And so I decided to try to continue to be transparent tonight and let you in on what we are trying to accomplish. And I know I've sort of done this, but what's motivating me because I think it's important. And then I said that we are going to do that comparison of which Jesus tonight, but we don't have the time to do that. And uh, I'm going to spend the whole show next week. It's already written out uh, because it took a long time to be able to sort through that. But we will do that next week. So let's go to the whiteboard and, uh, and talk about this uh, thing. Hopefully I can explain it. All right, in the middle of this uh, diagram here, you see that circle, and in that, we have my priorities, my principles, and the first one and, uh, that is so important to me is uh, authenticity. And uh, let me explain uh, that just for a second, and I'm doing this in preparation for shows for next year and how it's going to go down. As a former religious person, both LDS and part of the evangelical community, I found there's a really unspoken push to feign, uh, feign who you are in some sense or another. I was never comfortable with it as a Latter-day Saint, and yet it's constantly demanded in church, among men, in the public eye. I am a punk at heart, hardcore, San Francisco, L.A. punk at heart, and I say what I think, no matter what the cost. And as a Christian, I will repent of when I make a mistake, uh, or I say something that inadvertently hurts somebody, or I have the wrong information, like I said things about Terry Long. I had sources give me that information. I had the wrong information, and I didn't check my sources enough. My fault, I'll apologize. But I don't typically say what I don't mean. So, when, like when I say some things about people, I typically mean those things because they're coming from a heart that wants to express what I'm trying to feel instead of trying to be something else. I don't take sides. I have no allegiances when it comes to God and truth. If my child uh, versus my worst enemy on the face of the earth, if my child's wrong and the enemy's right, I will side with the enemy. That's the only way you can be authentic. You can't let preferences come in. So people are all about that in the, in the inauthentic game. Well, they've done so much for the church. Or you're picking on a brother and all these game-playing uh, rules. Uh, why do that? Let's just be, this is it. They're wrong. They're right. This is my opinion. Don't like it. Like it. Whatever it is. So that said, when people are wrong, it doesn't mean that much. Where I openly address wrongs, I typically do not hold any real animus toward people. I really don't. I don't care who they are. I hold no animus towards Jason Wallace, who I've talked about in the past, Matt Slick, anybody. I really like them. I like people. I love people. I, I do. I love people. And uh, so, I, I, especially if they're genuine, but I hate facades. I can't stand them. They, they just make me sick. And in my loving, if I don't start with being authentic in, in what I do, even if it's going to include warts and mistakes and stumbling over them and saying something rude, if I don't start with authenticity, 
I'm going to be shooting heroin and preaching Jesus in a year because I can't live with the facade. I, I'm not going to live this life and die knowing I was faking things. So as much as you might not like it, it is from the heart, and I do mean well. I might offend you. Typically, I might do that on purpose because you need to be offended. You can offend me. I can take it. Let's talk. But it's got to be authentic. So of late, people are saying that I lost my mind now. Now, that's the new one. I lost my mind a long time ago. But they're saying that new intro, he's lost his mind. Oh, pray for him. Pray for him. He needs a prayer because he's obviously lost his mind. Uh, those antics, are, I was doing the same thing on Hard of the Matter. Remember, I'd blacken my hair and I'd do my beard and I'd change up clothes. And I was do, I've always been the same. It's just pointed at you now, so now you get to say I'm mentally ill. Second one is I love the word. I love it but it has to be contextual. It has to be, to the best of our ability, contextual. I even take liberty in that area and assign the word spiritually to us where other people don't. But when a person is truly committed to this approach to the Bible, they begin to see what the Bible is and what it's not. And evangelicals and the like want to take the contents and make it the material church today and I call it playing church, and it's really unfortunate and unfair. All it does is make more religion. And I can hardly believe that it has gone on for this many years without the mass of Christians rising up and saying, how can you do this? Wait a minute. How are you telling me this? You don't have any basis to be able to say that. So uh, let me give you one example from Scripture. Okay, just go through with me with this. In Luke chapter 12, verse 12, Jesus says, For the Holy Spirit will teach you in the same hour what you ought to say. Have you ever heard someone say that? Uh, we're going to go out and we're not going to even prepare. The Holy Spirit will teach us in the same hour what we're supposed to say. It says it right here in Luke. Okay? So I hear Christians say that, especially in the school of ministry. So ask yourselves, are these words to you as a believer today? What's your proof that there are to you as a believer today to take upon yourself? And when you're asked to speak somewhere, don't prepare. Just get up and, and just throw it out there because the Spirit will tell you exactly what to say. Okay? Well, most people will say, oh, yes, uh, this was to us. And they'll, t they'll even encourage other people not to prepare. Just let the Spirit tell them. And they take pride in the ability to do that. So then we have to ask, well, who did Jesus say it to? And, and then we have to say, if we're honest, well, he said it to his apostles. They were endowed with the Holy Spirit in a way for that time that was very different than for everybody else. Did you know that? In fact, in context, he says, quote, And when they bring you to the synagogues and unto magistrates and powers, take no thought of what you should say. The Holy Spirit will teach you in that same hour. So contextually, really, the only way you can really apply that is when you are taken to a synagogue or to a magistrate, or to and people say, oh, no, 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 we can take that. No, you can't. If you're taking the Bible literally, in ink, this is what it says. That's the context. So you have to be taken to a synagogue, or to a magistrate, or to powers, before you implement that idea of not preparing at all, and letting the Holy Spirit tell you what to say. Okay? So the next thing is, when they bring you into those synagogues, and into the magistrates, take no thought, then we have to ask, 
So where do you get off taking a passage like that and teaching people that's what you have to do and be as a Christian today? And you know what they'll say almost every time? This is their only fallback. Well, in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. And they'll say all scripture, so therefore, that scripture, therefore, it is good for us for doctrine, reproof, uh, correction, instruction, and righteousness. Then you have to say, who did Paul say that to? Who did Paul say that to? And then we have to say, well, he said it to a guy named Timothy. In fact, the verse before, he says this, that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. So he says this to Timothy, that from a child he has known the Holy Scriptures, and then he says to Timothy, all Scripture is given by inspiration. So the context is he is talking to this man in this letter, and he tells him, because he was from a child, known the Holy Scriptures, Old Testament only, that they were able to make him wise into salvation, and then he follows up with, and all Scripture is given. We take that passage out and we use it to our advantage to be able to say we have the license to take every scripture and assign it to somebody outside of context. Do you see what I, I'm doing? If you go to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God according to the promise of life in Jesus Christ, to Timothy. This was a letter to Timothy. It's possible that if I was on the earth at that time, that Paul would have written the letter to me and said, and by the way, Sean, not all scripture is good for instruction for you. And we would have gotten a different letter from him to me. We don't read it that way. We take the license to take the whole book and say, we use this exactly and we cite chapter and verse to slay people instead of living by the spirit and let the, let the scripture be read contextually and understood that way. I'm not doing this to disparage the word. That's why I prefaced it with this. Love it, in it, teach it, believe it. I know it has application, but that application is subjective. And it's not objectively decided upon one person, upon another. In the 16th century, men took the word, they lifted it to a place it was never intended to be. And they have zero internal evidence from God in the New Testament that suggests they had the authority to do this. None. Additionally, a true reading of the content of the word reveals that all of its contents are complete and for the people of that age and time. All of it. You know, we read Revelation. We're all talking about all this. Just read what the first chapter says in the last chapter. Seven churches. It's just um, so because all this is overlooked, men and women continue to play church and then they justify pretended authority over people, and they justify the collection of unauthorized tithes, and they justify church discipline, and they justify playing church ad nauseum, and it keeps people in chains and chains and chains. And Jesus said, look, man, come to me. I will give you life. I'll give you free freedom. Just look to me in faith and live. So, uh, third one. As a result of these things, I have a desire to set people free. And no matter what their uh, gig is, if they're trapped by it and it makes their life 
If they're in bondage, then I have this desire to set them free. Typically, the message is Jesus because I believe he gives all the liberty in the world for every single thing that might hold you bound. Uh, Understanding this contextually of the Bible, I am in a position, I think, to help people understand that the scripture has been fulfilled. And when you understand it's been fulfilled, then you are totally free from the objective religion that everyone's putting on you. And you're free to read that book as you want by the Spirit, interpret it as you want, and be responsible yourself before God. That, that is the freedom that comes with Christ. It's not the freedom that comes with religion, but the freedom that comes with Christ. Number four, I see then as a result a necessity, yes, this is bold, to destroy uh, organized, what I mean by that is plain church religion and tradition. Because it is not freeing people because it doesn't take the word contextually and therefore it becomes inauthentic. Uh, All they do is serve to trap and hold individuals to inferior approaches to God. And they use Jesus' name. And have you been saved? Have you really been saved? Uh, Have you been baptized? All the stuff, you know. The more religious dogma, practice, and traditions removed from the life of a seeker of God, the uh, more or greater liberty that person has in their life. And I am convinced that God, one of his primary, primary objectives, even over, uh, is freedom. I think, it, I think it is paramount. Because if you don't have freedom, you really can't have love. So even before love, it seems like freedom is paramount to him, which is why I have such a hard time with uh, Calvinism and some of their tenets. Um, and then find number five, uh, I want to help people, and this is, this is uh, my thing, to seek treasure in heaven over treasure here. This one's tough. And I realize most people or many people don't have that ambition. And that's okay. You love them anyways. But with me, I just don't see any middle ground. In my estimation, followers of Christ do better being sold out to him and his ways than trying to uh, be one foot in this world and one foot in heaven. My personality is either hot or cold. And in my estimation, that is what people ought to be uh, claiming if they are a follower of Christ. Be hot or cold. Write him off or attempt to live Jesus day in and day out. Uh, Naturally, this leads people to having an eternal view of things. And uh, so to reiterate, if they choose to seek first the kingdom of God, if they choose that, with that freedom, if they choose that, they really want to seek him with their heart, mind, and soul, automatically they won't allow this world to overcome them. And I I believe in that. That's part of my credo that I try to bring to people, whether I'm successful at it or not, doesn't matter. It's a fine balance because at times, anyway, I just, that's just one of the things that drives me. So that's what happens when we teach at campus. 
It's to get people to say, yeah, we do have to live in this world, and you do have to earn a living, you do have to be responsible. And like we read last week, Jesus said, if a man doesn't provide for his family, he's worse than an unbeliever. So, I mean, that's, that's putting a lot of weight on things here in this world. So it's just not to make this place the priority. And that's the focus of what we do uh, at campus and everything else. And then finally, it, it's a final thing. It is my hope to get people to produce uh, fruit of love in their lives and to push for that the best we can. I know that I can be criticized because it seems like I'm not loving, in, and I told you before I wear different hats. This, the hat I wear here has a purpose, uh, and it's not the hat I wear everywhere I go, but it does have a purpose. There's nothing more rewarding in my life to see my family or people I love than when you see God's love at work. They're, they're, it's, it's, and that is the result of God in them. So when you see people turning the other cheek, when you see people forgiving, when you see people choosing not to gossip, and I don't do all these things, but when you see people doing those things, that is a great reward to my heart uh, for that person. When pure love is there for the prostitute or the drug addict or, or, or for the rich guy and the successful guy too, it shouldn't just be the one way or the other. It brings it all full circle. Unless there is freedom and liberty, real Christian love cannot actually exist. And in order for freedom and liberty to exist, we have to remove religious demands and myths that hold people bound. And this can only occur once the Bible is viewed contextually and understood in a different way than most people read that thing, than most pastors read it. And then it, all that religious pretense just gets in the way of being truly authentic before your God. If, if a Mormon, if a Hindu, if a Buddhist, I don't care who they are, if they say, I love my God, I serve my God with my heart, I'm responsible for who I worship and what I do, they, I have a hands-off policy to them. That is not to say I don't believe Jesus is the only way. That is not to say that I don't believe someday they will come to know Jesus. It's to say my obligation is to love them first and foremost. And in that love, let God shine through till we come to a commonality. Don't get all twisted in your underwear, you frickin' Calvinists. And don't say, oh, he's short-selling Jesus and all the crap you guys resort to. This is a faith of love. If it can't be that, then, then what are we doing? So that is uh, for tonight. Next week, we are going to get to uh, that, that, that conversation that I'm a postmodernist when it comes to Jesus and that, uh, that diagram that was sent to me by somebody, and then I was able to check out myself. Got some emails, and we're going to wrap it up. Uh, this is from Michael. Saw your old Mormon stories podcast. Really enjoyed listening to you. I am transitioning out of Mormonism. I really appreciate uh, your, your summation really well, uh, what it means to be a Christian and how different from performance-based Mormon church. Uh, you know, and that's the thing, performance-based. Uh, I, I pick on the Calvinists a lot because I really find their uh, theology reprehensible and the product of a man named Calvin and the fruit of that product carrying on in the hearts of most believers who follow Calvin. Uh, Arminianism isn't much better. Because Arminianism preaches a works righteous uh, salvation, 
they're preaching constantly that you need to show, show, show through your works and righteousness and attendance and church and, and, and lifestyle and what you eat and dress. And, I mean, it's works righteousness, and that's, that's almost as bad. I see them both as failures. So I appreciate that, Michael. Uh, saw your uh, video uh, about who gets to say uh, some of your examples and the way you presented them asking how to apply them literally in modern day were pretty funny. They can be really funny if you think about it. He goes on and on, and he, he uh, talks. Um, when you refer to God, saying that God would write his laws on believers' hearts, you said that God sees the heart. Uh, that is scriptural. I'm not saying it. And that he would write his laws on our hearts in the last uh, time of the age, which is forever, eternity. Uh, he does that now, and that's why we can look at somebody who has Christianity written on their heart, but doesn't know Christ in that Jesus, Jesus way. Uh, God is working on them and, and touching them, and we don't have to become dogmatic and part of the evangelical right in order to uh, bring the world to us. So I appreciate that. He went on. It was a long email, but that's Matt. Uh, this is from Keith. Hey, I recently found HOTM. Interesting. You talk about how Christ initially founded his church, but took it back around 70 AD, and now there's no more church, but only his body. You also talked about how after the church without apostle differs uh, about 150 to 200 AD. I wondered if you ever considered what Isaiah 9 says about the Messiah, that the government would be built upon his shoulder, and it would be an everlasting government, an everlasting government. And so he asked that question. And the way I see that is that when Christ took his church, Christ's government was fully installed then upon the earth. It is an eternal, everlasting government, but it's not one that is led by flesh and blood here on earth. It's not orchestrated by churches with a lot of buildings. It's by him governing over the lives of people by the Spirit, where he's written their law, his laws upon their heart. And they make the community of believers around the world who have come to him uh, one way or another by the Spirit. So that is the government, the eternal, everlasting government, where the government would be placed upon his shoulders. That is that uh, church government, not church, but body government that I see in place. Uh, so one last thing. Campus HOTM is on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, give us a thumbs up if you like it. And hit that subscribe button right there, right there, to stay informed. Thanks for watching. Out!